Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is just a reminder that everything on the podcast is intended to be informational, educational, and entertaining. This is no way a substitute for therapy or the therapeutic process. If you find yourself in need of more direct support, please reach out for professional help. Or if you find yourself in crisis, please visit your local emergency room or call 911. everybody, it's LaShonda from Labors of Love, and you are listening to the Labors of Love podcast. Uh, today, it's just me. You know, like a lot of people, I've had a lot of time to think since we've been socially distancing and uh, staying at home, and I thought I would just share some of my musings with you. So let's jump in. So I'm going to tell you that this is going to be in no particular order. Um... Really, I just want to share some thoughts. Uh, I'll start by saying I, I am a high extrovert um, and I'm an external processor. So uh, being isolated, staying at home and not having access to uh, face-to-face contact with other people is really challenging um, for me. And over the last few years, I have recognized that I do have some needs for um, introspection and um, I do have, you know, I'm not all the way to the end of the spectrum of extroversion. Um, I do need quiet time. I need personal time and space, but I really do also need connection with other people. And so I find myself in a very interesting uh, place of trying to balance that. And um, this feels like a good outlet. So um, to those who will indulge me for the next several minutes to just listen to some of my thoughts, um, you know, I appreciate it. <clears throat> I know I'm not the only person out there who is struggling with this. Um, I do have some in- some friends who identify as very strong introverts and, um, and they've expressed like, I'm loving it. <laughs> and so I want to acknowledge that there's no right or wrong way to experience any of this. And I think that is the premise of this entire episode. Uh, so many of us are conditioned to believe there is a right and a wrong way to experience life. And because of that, we put pressure on ourselves and others to have what we deem to be the appropriate experience um, and the appropriate response. And it is just not so. So um, one of the things that has been become very evident to me over the last several weeks is my need for depth um, to go deeper. I manage a lot of social um, uh, experiences and places, and there are definitely times where situationally uh, shallowness is just part of whatever I'm experiencing. Um, Meeting new people in a very crowded space, if I'm offering a training, uh, a lot of times people will come and talk to me. Um, Interestingly, you know, during those times, because as a a trainer, a public speaker, and a person who is very, very transparent and authentic in how I present, I start breaking the ice with people 
from the stage, if you will. So participants in my trainings start to get to know me and my personality and my experiences by nature of how I engage with them. I think what happens is by the time we get to a break or the end of that training or workshop and people are coming to talk to me, we've already gone past the shallow part of, hey, how you're doing? You know, I have already more than likely um, jumped into something of tremendous depth um, from my own experience to help highlight a point or illustrate something that I'm trying to teach people. So by the time they come to me, um, they are oftentimes ready to meet me in that depth. Excuse me. What I'm finding now is that as we're transitioning um, or have transitioned from face-to-face interactions to virtual meetings, it has opened the door wide open, almost I feel like taking the door off the hinges to just this level of shallowness and superficiality. And I I don't mean to say that necessarily negatively. Um, I just think a lot of the platforms, um, it's just doing that. So here, here are a couple of examples. And again, I'm not knocking any of this, right? But we are now on Zoom or some equivalent all the time. And so it's funny because what that means is people can only see what you want them to see. And that has always been the case. But when we're face to face, it is so much more difficult to conceal uh, a number of things that we can conceal on a video or virtual call. So that means if you want to literally be naked from the bottom down, you can be. As long as whatever is, you know, for, from a picture standpoint, headshot, up, headshot and up, as long as that's what you want people to see, that's what they're going to see. We can pick the one wall in our home that is not cluttered or whatever to have our meeting. We can frame the stage for whatever people want to see. We create what we want them to do. And for some some meetings, we don't even have to show our picture. That means that we can be present to other people's vulnerabilities and transparencies without having to expose our own. And so again, this is not new. We do this face to face. However, the platforms in which we're using right now just makes it par for the course. And so my my personal observations with myself as I notice my body, my internal experience as I'm on these calls, is I feel further and further away from people. And while I can go to grid view and kind of see everyone who's there, um, virtual meetings and virtual calls, virtual therapy sessions create this very false experience. So one of the first things I try to do when I am leading a call, um, if it's a meeting or it's a workshop or training or a session, is one of the first things I ask people to do um, is, well, we breathe. But even before that, I just, I name the experience. Okay, here it is. You're in front of a phone or a computer or something, and you're going to be pulled and drawn um, to this, this camera. And you are going to be compelled that you have to stare at that little hole or at the picture of whoever's talking. Um, And what that does is that takes us out of the human experience. Um, I want to shout out another clinician colleague of mine. Her name is Terry Delaney. And she did a workshop um, for clinicians regarding um, 
SEP, which is somatic experience. She's an SEP, somatic experiencing practitioner. Um, <clears throat> and it was very insightful. What I appreciated about it, and she was bringing this information. I realized that I had been doing so much of that, not because I'm SEP trained, but because it feels human to me. And a lot of the work that I do is just very intuitive. And so I like to tell people like, look around your room. And so we do that experience, like look above you, look below you, look to your left, look to your right. What's in your space? Like take a moment, what's the temperature? How long have you been sitting in that chair in front of the computer talking to someone or listening, pretending to listening, pretending to listen, you know, on mute, <laughs> trying to ignore the noise in the background, your kids screaming, just this whole thing. Let's not pretend this is not our experience. Let's lean into it. Let's not forget we have a body. You know, don't suppress the yawn. The yawn doesn't necessarily mean you're bored. One, you could be tired, but it also tells me that you're coming more fully into your body's experience, right? And so saying all that to say, it's so difficult for me personally to take things virtually because it's already um, causing people to have this false sense of presence. You know, you have to be on the call as long as your name is signed in and you're kind of looking, but you don't have to be present. It's difficult to engage um, everyone who's present as you, um, it's more difficult to do that than if you were face to face. So anyway, that led me to think, you know, these are challenges I think a lot of people are having, but my quest for depth is real. You know, I am <laughs> so tired of... Um, just the superficial, hey, how's it going? You know, and I crave depth, depth of experience. And the thing is, that does not have to mean that we're talking. Sometimes and some of the best experiences I've had have been when I've been with people and we've just been together. It's not that there's no talking, but we don't have to fill every second with words. Because when we are in close proximity to one another, actually within six feet of each other, the very distance we're told to stay out of for the transmission of the virus, which I get, within six feet is kind of this energetic field that comes from us that allows us to connect with other human beings. And so you can have a conversation with someone and they are expressing something of tremendous joy and happiness that's happening in their lives. And you begin to feel that in your body too. And your excitement for them begins to well and they can feel that. And you can just sit in relative silence over the joy of whatever you're talking about. Likewise, someone can share with you something difficult and hard and trying, challenging, traumatic. And you feel that as well. And so we have this connection with each other that's void. Um, in the absence of face-to-face and physical connection with others, it leads me to say that I need to talk it out. Like, less, I need to talk below the surface. And what I'm finding is it's just not a lot of spaces that I've found thus far that do that. I think there are a lot of spaces that think they're doing it. I think there are a lot of um, places that maybe even feel that that's their intent, but I'm falling short. So I, I do want to shout out um, Women Writing for a Change in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, I have been taking a, a writing course, a well writing circle with them. It's amazing. You know, this started before we were sheltered at home. And so the, the physical closeness, 
was amazing. Um, the depth is great. And now that it's gone virtual, because we were able to establish that in person, I feel that um, that has been able to be maintained. And so as of right now, that really is my one saving grace um, to kind of a collective depth um, that we have. So just kind of sharing that. Other people may or may not um, be with me on that. I've also realized during this time that I am constantly plagued by the spirit of comparison. Now, this is something that, you know, as I've been doing my work over the last many years, you know, I've come to realize. But honestly, I thought I had moved probably further past it than I actually have. And what that looks like for me is constantly comparing my output to other people's output without any um, without any care or understanding of everything that's underneath. So let me give you an example. I could be, let's say social media, right? And there is a person on social media who says, I had such a productive day. You know, I organized this, I did this, I did this, I did that. And they're very proud of themselves. One of the first things that I do is I think, oh, God, you know, I could have been more productive. I totally could have done more things today, right? I can scroll and then maybe the next person is saying, you know what? I didn't do anything today. I didn't shower. I didn't brush my teeth. I just took it easy. And I think, man, I really need to relax more. It's like within seconds. So as I'm noticing that's happening, um, and I just want to say, like, it takes work to be able to real to, to recognize things that are happening within you. It really does take you being able to come out of your head, get into your body and slow yourselves down long enough just to be aware of what's happening without judgment. And as I started to notice my my constant comparison to others, um, I started to think, okay, at some point, this behavior, this action, this this way of existing in the world was part of a safety or a security um, or a survival skill set that I had developed. So I said, okay, I'm not going to shame this part of me because that doesn't help. Shame only leads you to do or pushes you to do the same thing you wish you weren't doing. And so it's like, I'm not shaming it, but I do want to know its origins. How do I get in connection with this part of me to figure out where it came from and what need did it meet? What purpose was it serving at some point? So that if I want to change it, I can replace that need or I can replace meeting that need with something other than comparison. And the conclusion it brought me to is I am definitely um, a shapeshifter chameleon in recovery. Um, I have known for a while that so much of my survival growing up, survival, don't think necessarily physical survival, um, don't exclude it, but partly social survival, you know, emotional survival meant that I could infiltrate and integrate myself into any group of people seamlessly. And I learned to do that so well. When I think back to high school and I think of a group of friends, I mean, there was no group of people that I, I wasn't cool with, right? Shonda could be part of any group, maybe not longstanding, but I could look the part, I could sound the part, I could be the part. And that that was part of my skill set, my survival skill set. So as I thought back on that, it of course it made sense. 
in order for me to adjust to the various settings in which I found myself, I had to make sure that I was being the part. And with that came this level of comparison. Am I doing it right enough? Am I doing this? And so I realized mm, that's true, that that is how it is. And while I have come so far um, on my journey of not uh, of authenticity and what my journey of authenticity has done for me is it's helped me to explore. Is this really me or is this something that I felt I needed to do to be part of? whatever group or to fit in, to not feel isolated, right? If this is something that you resonate with, one way you can know if you're falling into this category is if your social groups are highly segregated. If you hang out with various groups, but they do not come together and you get super anxious or nervous or whatever, when people from different parts of your life are at the same place at the same time and you have to interact, chances are you are a shapeshifter. Because if you have multiple people from different places in your life in one place, who are you going to be? When you've spent so much of your life being who whatever group or person you were around needed you to be. It's why a lot of people don't want their best friends, you know, to, to be around their cousins or their family or the people they work with or the people they go to church with because we spent so much time shape-shifting. Now, again, this is not shame-worthy. It is what it is. It is part of a survival system. I want you to know it exists. I want to give it a name for you. I want to call it out. Um, but I also want to say that, you know, there is this process by which we can understand that. And I don't shape-shift nearly. I mean, as much as I want to say I don't shape-shift at all, mm-mm, because it's so seamless And it's so much part of our survival that it will flare up before we know it. But what I can do now is I catch it and I'm able to say, hmm. And then I start to realize that whenever that happens, there's something in the environment that's causing me to feel unsafe, usually socially unsafe. And so I've just been thinking about that. Like, I don't have to compare um, everything about myself um, to what's happening around me. But I know that that has been such part of who I am for such a long time that there are trace elements left. I just have to be aware of that. So that's something I've been thinking about. I also have been thinking a lot about parenting. Um, All three of my children are home and my husband and I are navigating two four-year-olds. They just turned four um, last week and my son's 10. And so... It, it's it's challenging. And, you know, on one hand, there are the parents who um, have the resources, whether that's time, money, energy, space to be crafty and um, creative. And they create things and they build things and they play things and they do all of these different things, right? And then there are some parents who are just trying to make it. Their children crying um, provokes anger. However, what's underneath that anger is really fear. And there's just like all this stuff going on. And so I just want to shout out parents. Wherever you are along that spectrum, outside of the confines, I said somewhere in the middle, parenting is one of the toughest things I've ever done, period. And I've done some hard things in life. And I think just the fact that You know, being responsible for people other than myself is challenging, 
But one of my life's missions is to stop generational trauma in my family and help other people to do that in theirs. And that means that some of the gut intuitive responses that I have to my children are trauma responses. And so I have to stop myself and evaluate, is this response going to further the trauma or is it going to stop the trauma? Am I giving my children voice, choice, and control? You know, am I giving them that agency? Am I, you know, and so these are things that I've been thinking about. Um, but I love my kids and I am very thankful that I get to spend uh, more time with them. Um, but I also want to say that some people have not arrived to that point where they can say they're enjoying it and they may not. And that's okay. I also want to just say straight up, like one, I have always appreciated teachers. I am a teacher. I'm just a teacher to adults. Um, kids are not my thing. I've said that <laughs> and I mean it 14 and up for me. Kids are not my thing just in general, but especially when it comes to teaching. Um, and so I've always appreciated teachers and I want us to appreciate our teachers. They are, they have often limited resources. They're underpaid and I get that. But I also want to be honest and say it's not fair to throw out this for, for the parents at home trying to educate their, their children for people to say, mm, what do you think us teachers have to go through? Not quite fair. And when they say, well, you only got two at home, we have 30. Now, again, I have lots of teacher friends. I need y'all to hear me out. I appreciate you, but it's also not a fair equivalent. In addition to maybe limited, but some resources for so many teachers, not only is it your specific training and education, but it is your passion. And I think to be able to translate your passion to education and how you serve kids and then say it can be equated to a parent who that is the furthest thing from their gift or desire and be like, how you like me now? That just doesn't seem fair. Um, but what I do want to say is I think about children at home learning is how much learning is actually happening. I know kids are completing assignments. I get it. Some who can, some who have the resources, some whose lives are not chaotic. We're not even getting into the discussion with the fact that some children school is literally their only safe place, the place to get food. I'm not even talking about that. I'm just talking about the fact that we are all um, experiencing some level of fear around what's happening. And depending on the resources of the, the parent and the adult in the home um, and their ability to have safety and security in all of the basic needs, do they know do they secure that they're going to maintain their housing? Do they have adequate food and water? You know, all of these different things. Even the parent with the best intentions to educate their kid, just the internal experience, the anxiety and everything that comes with that, children can feel that. And so they begin to worry. What's wrong with mom? What's wrong with dad? What's wrong with grandma? What's wrong with auntie? What's going on? And so they can complete the assignment all they want to, but how much learning is actually happening? And let's not judge a child's ability to learn or what they have the capacity to learn or what they are learning based on these very tumultuous times. Like, it's just not fair. Um, so that was another thought. Um, another thing <laughs> that I thought about was um, it, it hit me really hard. I mean, like, it smacked me in the face the other day when I started thinking about disparities and who's being impacted 
um, the most and the most significantly by um, the coronavirus and the COVID-19. And we talk about the, the disparity amongst race um, and socioeconomic status and access to resources, health care, um, clean food, all of these things. And it hit me. I'm middle class. I did not grow up middle class, grew up working class. And I, again, it's not, be, and, and, and I also was thinking like, this has nothing to do with the amount of money that's in my bank account. For me, what made me think about that was the fact that I'm working from home. I have that ability. And this is where it hit me. It hit me when I was sitting at my dining room table on a laptop. My husband was to my left on a laptop. My son was on my right on a laptop. My girls were in the living room watching TV. We're just abundantly resourced so that every person who had something to do could do it. And that was it. And how I, I do, I have a dedicated office. It's just me. This is where I am right now. I have this sanctuary that I can come to. I can still generate income during this time. And I can be creative with how I generate that income. And I still, we can go to the grocery store. Now, our kids' stomachs, especially our one daughter, it's always on E. It's like a bottomless pit. And we are spending so much money on groceries <laughs> to feed our children and trying to kind of just put parameters and time around it, but they are more hungry. But you know what? At no point did we have this thought, what are we going to eat or can we eat? And so it hit me. That's a blessing and that's a privilege. And I wanted to just publicly say that because I have learned so much and so much of who I am um, has been from the trials and the difficulties, the challenges that I have um, experienced navigating um, lack and scarcity throughout the various times and places of my life. Um, and some of us have been striving to get to a place that we have already arrived, but we haven't taken our foot off the gas long enough to realize we've gotten there. We can be so go, go, go to a destination with a moving target in our mind that we don't pause enough to stop and say, I am no longer where I used to be. And that grind and that go and I gotta get is based off of the scarcity mindset, not necessarily the scarcity of resources that you actually have. And so that hit me and, you know, I just thought like, wow. And by acknowledging that, that doesn't necessarily mean you're saying, I don't want to go further or whatever that means for you. But it does mean to actually sit and stop and realize where you are is a very powerful thing. Yeah. So I appreciate that. The final thing I want to talk about <laughs> that it's interesting because part of me feels like it'll be kind of like preaching to the choir. Um, if you've gotten this far through the podcast, but I want to talk just a little bit about support. You know, it's hard during the times of COVID. So many of us are impacted in so many different ways. But even outside of that, as an entrepreneur, um, as a person who uses my gifts to help people in the form of things that um, are podcast-based, YouTube channel-based, social media post, um, I just want to encourage people to support people. I don't even know. Like, I'm straight. Like, so here's the thing. I'll give this example. There is a local restaurant in my area that I would love to support. 
but I don't like their food. Okay, I'll be real. I've tried it. I don't like it. But I still want to support them. And so I find that maybe I'll buy a gift card to them for someone else. And it's not that their food is bad. It's just some of the seasoning choices I don't prefer, right? So it's good quality stuff. I share their social media posts. I engage with their social media posts. I do things like that because I want to support them even if I don't like their food. What does that look like for me in Labors of Love? And I've been thinking about that. There are some people who are very quote unquote close to me and I don't mean to quote unquote, but they're close to me in whatever way, but I don't feel supported by them in what I do. And so I can never be their therapist. The ethics and laws won't allow it. So they can't support me by coming to me for therapy. I don't even want to suggest that you should be listening to my podcast if you don't like podcasts, you know? But sometimes I think we neglect people who are very gifted and talented and have a lot to contribute who are close to us um, just because maybe we don't know how. So I just want to give a few examples. If you want to support a local business or an entrepreneur, you know, a hairstylist, a nail tech, whatever realm that falls in, it doesn't have to mean actually buying their services. It could mean liking their post, sharing their post, commenting on their post, because the more engagement it gets, the algorithms think like, oh, this is important. Many people are interacting with it. Tell people about them. Sometimes reach out to them personally and give them words of encouragement Um, you can support them by, um, sharing your experience with them and their services that they've provided. Um, and then you have like really straight up ways. I mean, you could cash app them, (laughs) you could do that. But I just want people to understand that sometimes just being supportive, letting them know you support them can be very helpful in ways that you take for granted. You know, I never want to beg someone to support me. Now, what I realize is that is very much the teenage part of me. That's like, whatever, whatever, they got to, (laughs) you know, and there is this prideful part. But the other thing is, I don't want to assume that people think my content is good. I'll be real. But if you do, for me or other people, subscribe to the YouTube, subscribe to the podcast. Doesn't mean you have to listen to everyone. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Engage with them on social media. Send them words of encouragement. Let them know you appreciate it. Tell other people about them because it really does matter. So I said all of that just because, you know what? I needed to get it out. And I wanted to give my husband a break. (laughs) So, But since he's going to be editing the podcast, he's going to hear it all anyway. Um, So to all of my listeners, I genuinely thank you for your support. Seriously. Thank you for tuning in. Do not forget that we're on all the major social media outlets. Please, if you haven't followed us or engaged with us, do so. Don't forget we have our YouTube channel, the Labors of Love YouTube channel, where we put out weekly Therapy Thursday videos. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast, rate, review, and give us that five-star rating. Until we connect again, y'all, be well.